This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 to 30. I'll give you a moment to get there. Jesus is going to tell us another parable about the kingdom of God. It's Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 to 30. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burnt. Then gather the wheat and bring it into the barn. As I was doing a bit of study on on this scripture, um, I found out that in the Middle East, there is this weed called Darnell. And with this weed, it's almost indistinguishable when it's fledgling with the wheat. And so it's pretty good if you want to totally obliterate your neighbor and see the price of wheat go up and you, co- you, you collect, there, there seemingly was this practice where you could just go and spread these little black seeds at night, whatever, throughout the field, even in patches and clumps, because you pretty much render the field useless because you can't tell what, when Darnell is, is actually there in your field until the head begins to form. And unfortunately, with this particular weed, the black seeds are highly, highly poison. And so most farmers who do not have the resources, they've only got their family working for them, they pretty much have to burn the whole crop, start again next season. So it's just interesting that, that Jesus is sort of picking up on some, some cultural issues here, whether it was an enemy that would do that to your field or you're just sloppy as a farmer, some, some of these seeds got into the, the wheat and you're just spreading it out everywhere, not knowing that, that you're poisoning your own land. A horrible, horrible situation. And you see, last time we spoke about the kingdom of God also, but it, it was like a, through a different lens. Because we've got to understand, like, I've told you this parable. How many of us could put our hand up and go, I, yep, Jesus, I understand every element of, of what you just said about this enemy coming in and poisoning the field of the, of, of the man who owned the farm. It's actually surprising. Like, the parables are, are really, at times, quite hard to wrap your head around. And as Christians, it is our obligation to diligently study the Word of God. And the parables are almost like this entry-level, easy under, way to come and just understand some great truths hidden before the foundation of the world, Jesus says. But not simple in the fact of just, okay, it's easy to get, but very profound, yet said in very, very few words. 
just simple. It's there. It's bite-sized. And when you get it, it just opens up a thousand other words, like a painting. And so last time, the element of the kingdom that we looked at was this slow progression, this, this permeation of the wheat throughout the large measure of, uh, oh, sorry, uh, yeah, this large measure of flour, and this yeast is going all the way through it, and it's going to take time to, to knead all that through. Um, but then we also had the example of the mustard seed being the smallest seed of all. You've got to understand that Christianity started with the death of one man, the, 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 the smallest seed of all in the marketplace. And from Christ's death, and then three days later, his resurrection, his kingdom has just been expanding and growing and growing throughout the earth. So we're, we're looking at, yes, this is going to take a bit of time. We're going to be here for a while. We're going to buckle down. We don't know the, the day or the hour. Jesus could come at any time. But we're 2,000 years later, and we're still waiting patiently. And praise God for that. We're faithfully waiting. But it may take time. So that's the element we were looking at last time. But the angle that we're going to take today, or the, the image that Jesus wants us to look through at this parable, is one that's very profound and has huge implication upon our day-to-day -day walk. Like, I don't want to hype things up and say that once you become a Christian, your problems are completely solved. I'll tell you what, though. The biggest problem in your life is solved. I can guarantee you that. You see, I go up to someone on the street and I say, how's your relationship with God? How are you tracking with the one who made you? If you can answer that question rightly, if you can say, he is my father, he loves me, I'm in relationship with him, literally everything else is secondary. But it doesn't discount the fact that you have to deal with life after that fact, after you've come to Jesus, you've received his, his death for the forgiveness of your sins. You now have relationship with God. That's all sorted. You're a child of God. You're adopted into his family. But now, in a sense, the battle begins with the world. And not just the world, but within yourself as well. There's issues. There's struggles. There's depression. There's anxiety. All of that I get because I'm a Christian too. We're all, we're all suffering at times. But I do have some good news for us today about the parables. If you're looking at this parable with this, with this seed that's been put in amongst the wheat, and you're like, I've, I've read it again, Dan. I saw some of you you've looked down. I've read it again, Dan, and I'm still struggling to understand everything that's, that's coming at me now. If you would like to turn to Matthew 13, chapter 13, verse 36... And we're going to read through to 43. If Jesus gives you an answer to a parable, it's probably the first place to go. Probably the first place to go. So the answer is this. Jesus speaking with his disciples. So he just throws this stuff out there and then he goes away. And he'll tell his disciples the actual meaning of these things, these deep truths. So it says from verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. 
The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. I remember the first time I came across this, I was like, no way would I have been able to interpret that. Like, I'm being honest, no way would I have picked all of that out. Like, Jesus needed to explain this, and Luke, ha uh, Matthew had to put this in because we would fly off on all different tangents trying to understand this parable. I'll read on, verse 40. As the weeds are pulled up and burnt in the... Uh, as the weeds are pulled up and burnt in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will stand, will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Wow, I did not expect. He, he just went further than that and said, and here is the conclusion at the end of days. The first thing we can pick from this parable is there are going to be two systems at play. And I mentioned this last time, but there are going to be two systems at play in this world. Once Jesus established his people, you will have those who are growing alongside his people and they are the weeds in this case. And those who are believing in Jesus, trusting in God's promises, they are the wheat. But in these two systems, they are metaphorically going to be growing in the same field together. And there are two schools of thought. And I'll just throw them out there just so you understand. Some say that this is in the church, that there are going to be those in the church here and across this country on Sunday. And there's going to be some of us who are truly holding on to Jesus. And there are going to be others who are not. And we just don't know their heart, but we're going to grow up together and there's going to be those who are going to try and bring down people in the church. They're going to tear down the good work that God is trying to do in the lives of others. But then there will be those who are truly believing. And yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we may be immature at times, but there is a true heart of faith. The other school of thought is this, that Jesus is just speaking about the world in general. His people will be growing up in the midst of an evil and perverse generation. And I sit more on that camp, but either way, we've got to be a people who are ready and, and aware of these things. One system is the system that belongs to Satan. The other are those who are called according to God's purposes. They are adopted children of his. And I want to say God has chosen for us an interesting time to be a part of. Like I have never heard of a time where evil is so pervasive where it can come directly through your door into your ears and before your eyes i can put on games that are so realistic killing someone else made in the image of god and we can just say it's fantasy but i don't think god's there really pleased about us enjoying murder we used to do this at Colosseums in in rome and that needed to stop but you see, it's, it's becoming more and more realistic. It's becoming more and more real because there's that true thirst for these things in our lives. There's that, that violence. There's things we can do in, in these games now, which are disgusting. 
Even when I was a child, it was there, but it's just becoming more and more prevalent. Not only that, we've got access to all manner of evil. We can extort people, cheat people, lie to people. I probably get about three a week where people are saying, oh, uh, this is Amazon and, and, and we've actually charged, you know, 99's coming out of your account. And they're trying to steal from me. And it's right there before, it's right there in my face. And we know of all the other things in the world that are just trying to lead people this way and that. And I'm just saying, we're at an interesting time. You have picked a wild time to join in and take hold of Christ. Because you're up for a fight. You're going to have to fight these things coming into your life. And you're also going to have to watch them out there come in and potentially judge you, put you down, condemn you. Because you're trying to lead a holy and righteous life in a perverse age, in a wicked and evil generation. We were promised it'll be like the times of Noah. Complete disregard for God. And people will do according unto their own hearts, whatever they want to do. There is no fear of God in their lives whatsoever. And you have taken the stand with Jesus and you are going to follow him through thick and thin. And I'm telling you, Jesus has warned us it's going to be thick or it's going to be thin at times, I should say. It's going to be hard. If we could turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. This is a warning for us and just compounds the fact that the enemy is ever present. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting from verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering don't put the weight of the world on your own shoulders peter's saying this is happening everywhere and when he's telling us to beware of satan he's not talking to the unbeliever he's not talking to those outside of the church this was written to god's people as a warning and i believe jesus is giving us a very clear indication that we are going to be surrounded at times by the enemy and i'm just saying i feel that now and it's getting worse what i really like is to be prepared for things i i'm not someone who wants to wait to the last minute some of us are but not to wait for the last minute and then start to make preparations for the future I want to be ready yesterday when the storm's coming. We actually used to live on a yacht. You don't live long on a yacht if you don't plan for the worst case scenario. What is it? Expect the, we expect the best, but prepare for the worst. It's a great saying. And Jesus knew this too. And he wanted to prepare his people because he knew it was going to be hard. And Jesus went as far as to say that is, if this is what they do to me, if this is what they're going to do to me, they're going to crucify me. They're going to call what is unbelievably righteous. Like there is no further goodness in this world, in this universe than Jesus. He did no wrong. And if this is what they do to me and you try and follow me as my disciple, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to look similar. It's going to look similar. So be alert. Be sober-minded. 
even this week, I want to tell you how pervasive this is, right? I'm, I'm, I'm doing a bit of study, I'm looking at some things, and I come across this group, and they've got Christian slogans all over it, and I thought, maybe I could learn something from, from these guys. I, 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 I set up, have a quick look at one of the videos that they've got, and the videos, it all looks Christian, and the video starts going on about how Jesus has already come and gone, that all you Christians are wasting your time, and that Jesus didn't come for anybody, the Gentiles, but he actually, he actually came for only the Jews. And when, when it talks about Gentiles and Greeks and these things, he's only talking about the Jews that got dispersed as they're going out into slavery or being persecuted from, from other nations. I was astounded. And this group, it was quite a big following. I'm like, oh my, this group, they are dedicated to knocking Christians off their perch. Knocking Christians off their perch. And I thought, oh, whoa, okay. And I'm like, well, 2 Thessalonians already tells me to, to be warned of people like you. That people back in the first century were saying that Jesus had already come and gone. But don't believe them. There's a lot more that needs to take place. But also in Revelation, it says that every tribe, tongue, nation, and peoples, not just the Jews, but people from every nation, all peoples from all across the world are going to be there in the kingdom of God. So I, I, like a keyboard warrior, I gave my opinion, or not my opinion, I gave the word of God. And then the hatred, the vitriol, and the, you, you don't know anything. I was honest as well. I said, hey, just so we know, just so I level the playing field, I'm a pastor from New South Wales. I just want you to know that so that, you, you know, just so you have some context of why I'm coming into this conversation. Because I'm not there to have some big moment of, you know, what the, the, next, the, the next crusade on this, on this group of people. But I'm just, I'm just going to point out that there are some really fundamental stuff that you're missing. And I hope that someone from that group will see this. And, what, and all I get back is you call yourself a pastor. Oh, you've got so much to learn. I'll oh, keep watching our videos. Do you know what that is? Do you know what the Bible calls that? It's called the spirit of the Antichrist that was at work in the world in the first century and is still pervasive today, but on a much grander scale, they are organizing and conforming themselves together and building themselves up so that when they meet you, if you try and bring up Jesus, they will laugh at you. They will throw the word of God at you, which was happening, just twisted and messed up to try and knock you off the faith that you so dearly hold to in our Lord. It's out there. It's happening. And so an application I think we can take from us growing up amidst the enemy, amidst being surrounded by the enemy, is this. The first thing, and my example with that, um, with that which I've just told you, is, is having a handle of the Word of God. Like, there has been no other time in history where Christians needed to take a hold of God's Word. The, the Bible says that the Word is the sword of the Spirit. It's the thing that we use to lash out against the enemy and say, you're wrong. Not just my opinion, not just how I feel, but God says, you're wrong. I'm not receiving your words. Now, the other thing might be this, though being surrounded by other Christians, all of us together. I could have jumped on and, and asked Tim, hey, Tim, I've never come across this before. 
What do you think I should say back? Is he right? Maybe I've never come across this. We all are given the church to look out for one another, to help each other up, to to help each other and to uplift each other. I cannot stress the importance of being a part of the community of believers. The only way they're going to have any change in this community is us being here, being filled with the word of God week to week and then going out better off for it, ready to defend against such accusations against the word of God. Could I also just get you to turn quickly to 2 Peter 2? Because a few of the examples I gave there, you should know the word of God. Let us be a people that stick together. I want to tell you the greatest thing that you can do in this wicked and perverse generation. 2 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 7. And if he, meaning God, rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. So I gave you some great examples there. Know the word of God. Be knitted together with the people of God. But ultimately, our strength has to come from God. We don't look inwards to try and find answers. We actually need to have a good relationship with God so that we aren't thrown off. And if God Hear that? If God knows how to even deliver Lot, the only righteous man in Sodom and Gomorrah, the only one, God had the power to draw just him out. God had the power to draw just Noah and his family out. If he can do that for them, Peter is saying he can do it for you too. Hold on to him. Don't look in for the answers. Don't look in for sustenance and strength and comfort. But look up to the Lord who has all the power in heaven and earth to bring you through out of this depraved world. And so as I said, there are going to be hard times. We need God and we need each other. The last point I want to make today is this. But then how do we interact with the world? I didn't even get into the end of these people. Jesus was not ashamed to say to people that their ultimate destination is hell if they're outside of him. That isn't bullying. That's just the plain truth. If you stand before God and you are covered in your sins, what else could he do but judge because of his goodness? No one's getting off. No one's getting away from anything wrong they've done. I love that about God. I love that God isn't sitting up there and he's whimsical. He just makes up judgment. He's not really fair and he's not really unjust. He's sort of very vague and in between. No, the Bible describes a God who is infinite in his perfections. And if you stand before him in your sin, there is no hope at that stage. But what if God loved you so much that he did bring hope into this world and he did that through his son Jesus Christ 
Because if Jesus has set you free, if there is now no longer any sin held to your account, because on that cross, he paid for every single iota of your sin. When you stand before God, how can he condemn you? If God is for us, who can be against us? If every sin is wiped away, cleaned, taken care of, paid for by Jesus, there is now no condemnation. There's nothing. He can't say guilty anymore. All he can say is enter into my kingdom. But the final point is this. How do we interact with the enemy, with those that are around us? The first is this, it's never healthy for, a, for a, a, a morsel of wheat to grow up completely saturated and surrounded by weeds. That's never a good idea. And sometimes Christians isolate themselves like that and it's, it's just tough. It's tougher than it needs to be. But how can we interact with these people regardless? Because we're bumping into them every day. Well, lucky we don't come again with swords and clubs and spears, but we come with the word of God. We come with the message of hope, which I've just given you, that is Jesus has the power to save you and bring you up out of this. I don't know ultimately where you're going to end. I don't know ultimately where the angels are going to harvest you up and take you to the furnace. And the reference that Jesus is giving there is that this place never ends. Like, how do you get thrown into a furnace and there's still gnashing and grinding of teeth? This is where we get that understanding that hell is a place that you never get out of. And trust me, if you're a sinner today outside of Christ, when you get into that place, you don't suddenly become perfect and stop sinning. There's no point in your eternity where you come to a, to a, to a, a good relationship or good standing with God, but the cursing increases. The evil is pervasive and still existent in your heart. But if Jesus comes into your life, he has the power to purify you then as I said, you are set free. And so we come to these people not knowing their final destination yet. But while they, are, while they still have breath, they still have hope. Better a living dog than a dead lion is one of our proverbs. And so with that, I just want to say, be prepared for tomorrow. Be someone who is preparing now. Surround yourself with good people, with the word of God, knowing that God is the one that is able to carry you through. And also go out into this world and show them a supernatural love. Show them Jesus and exemplify Jesus in your own life. And you will see others come. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much that your word has been able to be preached today. Lord, I ask that you prepare your people for what's coming in the future. Lord, we know that things are going from bad to worse. Your word has promised it. But Lord, we also know that you have all power and authority to deliver your people from every and any circumstance. And so, Lord, as we go about our week, may we rest in this truth. But not passively, but let us actively seek you, actively love you and love those around us and take the same message of hope that has brought us into your kingdom out to this lost and broken world. For Lord, we know that that is the only hope, your son, Jesus. In his name, amen.